Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm Victoria English Martin, your host, and I have a special guest today, a writer, which I always admire writers, especially people who speak their truth. And I was lucky enough to come across a fascinating article written by Megan Griffith. Megan is a freelance writer and poet based in Dayton, Ohio. When We weren't in quarantine. She could be found at local Ohio festivals writing poems on her 1920s Underwood typewriter. And she blogs about mental health, Dungeons and Dragons, and 20-something miseries on her blog, Megan Writes Everything. Megan, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure. Megan and I are video recording, so I got to see her little boy. So that was a nice treat since I'm a, I, I've become that lady in the grocery store when I see a baby. I'm like, oh, my kids are like, mom, calm down. <laughs> I love babies. Like 40% of their face. They're so cute. I know, they're so cute. Yes. And so he's sitting there happily eating crackers. And if he wants to join in our conversation, that's just fine with me. So um, the way I found Megan, you guys, is I found an article which grabbed my attention, and it was called, I Have a Shame-Based Personality, and Here's What That Means. And it the title grabbed me, so I couldn't wait to read it. And when I read it, so much of what she said, she put things in a way that I'd never thought of them before. So I just wanted to get to know her and inter- interview her about what is a shame-based personality? How does Megan think that she became that and how it affects her life now and going forward, how she works with that? So Megan, we'll just get started. Tell me a little bit about your life and what brought you to the conclusion that you have a shame-based personality. That was actually a term one of my therapists used. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was saying, you know, it's not technically in the DSM or anything, but it's something that she had seen in a lot of patients with trauma in their past. Mm-hmm. And it's basically when you develop shame as a response to almost everything. Okay. Um, and shame becomes sort of an integral part of how you react to the world. And mm. so I related to that a lot. (laughs) That made a lot of sense when she said it that way. Yeah. And I've heard something said that guilt is feeling bad about something you have done and shame is feeling bad about who you are. Is that something that resonates with you? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine guilt is the kind of thing if we make a mistake or we offend a friend or something like that and we feel bad about it, we can go back and make our amends and hopefully it's left behind and we learn from that behavior and don't repeat it. How does that differ from a shame-based personality? Well, at least in my opinion and my experience, shame is not productive in the way that guilt can be. Like you were saying, guilt, it's a way to resolve a problem, a way to right a wrong. It's a mm-hmm. your- 
your body and your brain telling you, hey, this is not in line with what we want to be doing. Shame is not like that. (laughs) Shame Mm -hmm. is more of an oppressor. Shame tells you that you didn't do something wrong. You are something wrong. And there's no real way to fix that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's not productive. It doesn't guide you towards any sort of solution. It just guides you toward silence and more shame. So it creates sort of a spiral. Uh So once you get stuck in it, it's very hard to get out. (laughs) I can imagine. Yes, because I have certainly felt guilt and I have certainly felt shame. And there's definitely a difference. You know, there's a big, oh gosh, there's a big difference. Yes. Part of your article that stuck out to me is when you said, I am not responsible for the trauma that made me feel this way, but I am responsible for outgrowing the issues. And if I fail to do so, I'm letting my past hold me back. So is that something that you are working on continuously? Is it something that you feel you've made progress with? How long ago was it that you learned this term, shame-based personality? So a couple of different questions there. I think I first learned the term shame-based personality two summers ago, so about two years ago now. And then I had a really, really negative falling out with that therapist. And so I sort of started discrediting all of the helpful stuff that she had told me because it had gone to be such a problem that I sort of stopped paying attention to that stuff. And I'm only now coming back around to it. Like, well, okay, she did these things wrong, but that doesn't mean she was wrong about everything. Yes. So yeah, it's been about two years since I heard the term and I think I've probably started actually dealing with it and accepting it and figuring out what that means for me, probably Mm -hmm. just over the last couple of months, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you want to evolve out of or is it something you're accepting about yourself and are going to work around it? I think both maybe, which is... I don't know if I can realistically do both, but (laughs) that's what feels right right now, I guess, because I don't want to say my entire personality is something I want to change. That doesn't feel very good, which I talked about a little in my article, right? Like Mm -hmm. if if you have to change your whole personality in order to be good, then you're not good now. Right, right. Yes. You talk about coming and becoming your real self and it's that's kind of implying that your real self now isn't worthwhile, which is not a message that we need to hear either. Yeah. And I don't believe that entirely either. Like there are definitely good parts of my personality and stuff, Yeah, but a huge chunk of it is informed by shame. And I definitely want to change at least part of that because it's exhausting and it's not a fun way to live. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So if we were discussing your ideas about shame, would you say that that is a thought or a belief about yourself? Is that something that you feel is ingrained in you? Or is it just a thought that could be changed into something that perhaps you could use almost as an asset, an attribute? For me, the whole idea of having a shame-based personality means that it's a belief for me. My shame is held in a very like deep part of me that I don't mm. always consciously think about. It's mm-hmm. just always there. And for a really long time, my therapy, because I've been in therapy for, I don't even know, six or seven years now, was all focused on like 
thoughts and actions and functioning in life and stuff, mm-hmm. which was helpful. It helped me function through college and stuff. I graduated and all of that good stuff. But at the same time, it wasn't addressing those core beliefs that were causing the problems, you know? Yes. So I think my experience with shame could be used for good in some ways because a lot of other people are like this too. And Mm -hmm. I think my healing could help show other people that that's possible for them too. Right. But right now I don't really know (laughs) what that is going to look like, what that healing looks like. Right. Very much at the beginning stages of it. Right. Well, I think that's fascinating because I have found personally, you know, just doing things like this, like with my podcast, that it is not only helping others by kind of exposing my, I call them uh, show your scars, not your wounds, you know, but I'm kind of vulnerable with my listeners about what I've been through and it's been healing for me. So you're healing others right now, just by sharing your story. You helped to heal me a little bit just by learning about a shame-based personality because I could really identify with that. I think that was part of my makeup before I was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, I told you I'd struggled with, with alcohol in the past and, and a lot of it was tied to shame. And that's why I asked you, do you think it's a thought about yourself or an actual belief? Because, you know, as you go through this healing process, I think the more people you share your story with, the more it may help to start stitch up those, you know, some of those wounds that you're carrying around. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you talk about, you know, sharing your scars, not your wounds. And I tend to function the opposite. <laughs> I Once yeah. things have healed over, I'm like, ah, oh, it's boring now. Like, what new trauma can I open up for people? Uh-huh. And I think part of it comes from just shame is ingrained in my personality. So it feels like that wound is always there. It doesn't really heal over. It just mm-hmm. keeps on bleeding. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like when you are coming up with new traumas to share with people, do you feel like you're kind of picking at that scab to kind of make it raw again? Sometimes it can feel that way. I'm definitely prone to self-sabotage. So sometimes I wonder if I'm doing that. And then other times uh-huh. it feels more like I'm exposing the wound to the open air so it can finally start healing maybe. Yes. I don't know. It's difficult to tell how much is like, I'm sharing this because I am no longer repressing it or I'm sharing this because without my trauma, I don't know who I am. (laughs) That makes so much sense to me. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. Yes. I can relate to that. So I'm going to ask you a pointed question just for fun without your trauma. Who do you think you might be? Oh, it's a very difficult question to answer. Can't even imagine. It's so difficult to tell which parts of my personality developed because of shame and which parts developed because they're me. Mm-hmm. I honestly am not sure. I think I would still be very artistic. I think I would, if I wasn't a writer, I would probably do something in the arts, or at least I would do it on the side if nothing else. Mm-hmm. I think there's a side of my personality that's very like goofy and witty and angry. (laughs) And I think without my trauma, that part of me would, I don't know, be a bigger part of me, I guess. Right. So Megan, without the trauma stories would be artistic, witty, funny, angry. I love that. I love when we acknowledge our anger. 
I'm working on it. <laughs> yes. A mom, mm-hmm. a writer, yes. a wife. A mom, wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how's that feel to you to say those things? It feels good. It's always really important to remind ourselves that we are not just all of the negative stuff. And I definitely struggle with that. I'm big on ruminating. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know I can forget a lot of the good stuff in my life. So it's always really nice to be reminded. But I've also definitely had times where thinking about all of those good things in my life makes me feel worse because of the shame. It's more like, oh, interesting. Look at all the stuff you could be if you weren't such garbage. Look at all the stuff in your life that you are ungrateful for because you are garbage. Like, it just Mm -hmm. sometimes acknowledging the good stuff is invalidating in a really frustrating way. (laughs) I can relate to that. Yes, I think a lot of us do that. I certainly did that when I was actively drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm a Pilates teacher. I'm a mother. I'm all these different things. I'm a, you know, nutritionist. I'm all these things, but I'm a piece of garbage because I do this. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while. It, It was almost, I can relate to what you're saying because it was almost something I clung to because I was afraid of my potential. I was afraid of it. Does that resonate with you? It does. That's a really new thing for me that I'm finally sort of accepting that like, I'm kind of afraid of all the stuff I could do if I tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have any idea what to do with that. I don't know what it means, where it comes. Like I haven't processed that at all, but it, just hearing you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, yes, that hits somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. I think a lot of people, I just did a recent episode, if you want to check it out on limiting beliefs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was that was one that really hit me hard because I realized how many limiting beliefs I'm living with and, you know, just accepting every day that, well, this is just how it is. And the thought of breaking that pattern of thinking, on one hand, I'm like, I could be superwoman, how empowering. And on the other hand, I'm going, oh, no, that's too scary. I'm just going to stay small and stay here. <laughs> yeah. So you talked a little bit uh, on our get to know you chat about how this shame based and and this ties into what you just said, how this shame based personality leads to it's inhibiting, it puts you in a trauma response to life, it leads to inaction, you avoid doing anything wrong. Can you tell me a little bit about how that plays out in your in your daily life? Yeah, (laughs) sorry, it's a big, big question, I guess, like, I don't know. It Shame keeps me from doing all kinds of things. And when I say that, I feel like people imagine that I have like these grand plans that I'm too afraid to act on, which I guess I sort of do. Like I want to publish a book and I want to be a published or more published poet. And mm-hmm. like, I, I have all this like big stuff I do want to do that shame is like, uh, no, you're not good enough for that. Let's shut that down. Oh, <laughs> okay. Gosh, you are talking to so many people right now. It also interferes with just really tiny daily things. Like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, my husband and I might be sitting in our living room and we're watching something on TV and I feel like restless and bored and like I want to do something else. But like, I don't know what I want to do because I don't know how to listen to my own like needs. Like what do I need right now? Do I need like physical affection? Do I need like mental stimulation? Like, what, what do I need right now? And I don't know the answer. And uh-huh. so I just sit there in my chair and I'm bored and frustrated and I'm just stuck there like all night. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I get frustrated and trapped. And it's, yeah. it's like my 
fight, flight, freeze, which I'm a big freezer, goes oh. into effect over these tiny things like what to do with my evenings. Uh-huh. So when I say like shame inhibits my behavior, it inhibits all of my behavior. Like it, So it just puts you in freeze mode. Is it because you're afraid of offending somebody? Are you just af- tell me more about that. Like what goes through your head? Like if I were to say, I want to go for a walk or I need to be held, or are you afraid of hurting someone's feelings of creating discomfort? Tell me a little more about what goes in in your head in that place. I think I'm afraid that my needs will be either ignored or belittled. I think that is very much the pattern that I was used to growing up. Mm -hmm. And even though my husband has never really shown a tendency toward either of those reactions, yes, when you go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, it just sort of takes over and those are your expectations again. And once you're in that mode, you can't articulate your needs either because that part of your brain just sort of shuts down. Yes. So, yeah, I think my big fear is like, well, what if I say I need something and I get made fun of? Or what if? I don't know. I just get ignored. Yeah. And then I put myself out there and been rejected. And so it's way safer. It feels safer Mm. to just be quiet and Mm -hmm. not need anything. Yes, I get that. So many of our behaviors go back to our childhood and the way we were raised. I am still playing the part that I played in my family of origin, you know, in some, and if, and I'm almost 50 years old and I'm just now learning to kind of step into myself and pull away from that role that I played for so many years. So that makes a lot of sense. So that goes back to the responses you got when you were little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had very big emotions in a very classically practical Midwestern family. So uh-huh. They were seen as very silly and very excessive and dramatic. Oh. I took it to heart. (laughs) Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. We all have that little, little girl inside of us still sort of trying to be heard. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Well, the things you're saying resonate with me and I feel like they're definitely going to resonate with the people listening to this, listening to you. I mean, you're so young. You're how old are you? How old am I? I think I'm 26. I'm 26. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. My oldest daughter's 25. You could be my daughter. I'll give you my, you just call me anytime. I do free counseling with (laughs) all 20 somethings. (laughs) I have three kids in their twenties, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I don't know, listening to you, I feel like there's a lot inside of you that you have to share with the world. Yeah. I think there's a just me in general, like you were saying, without the trauma, like there's still an, ad- an identity there somewhere. <laughs> Even without all yes. that, I think I do. I'm very like, I don't know, creative and sort of thoughtful person. So I think about a lot of stuff. So I have a lot to say. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. also, like you were saying, that little girl inside of me and she has so much to say. <laughs> and I'm trying to trying to give her a voice that she didn't have when she was younger. Well, you're here on a podcast now. So if if that little girl wanted to say, I don't know, two or three things, what would she say? Um, I'm not going easy on you, am I? No, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the number one thing she would say would be 
pretty angry. She would say, I am not too sensitive. You are just blind to your cruelty. Mm. That would be her biggest line. And she would yell it. She would yell it and she would burst into tears and it would be fine. There would be nothing wrong. Yes. I think she would say, I'm interesting. Why are you not paying attention to me? (laughs) Mm. And I think she would say, you're wrong and I'm under no obligation to listen to you. Good for you. Yeah, I think that's what she would want to say about a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that you have quite a voice that is going to resonate with a lot of people today and in the future. I really do. I mean, you've got that little girl's kind of a a badass. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty great. I am learning to find her and listen to her a little bit more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. I know. I used to laugh at all that inner child work. Me too. I was like, oh gosh, that's so foo-foo. Like, woo-woo, you know, let's bring out some crystals and find our inner child. That's the reason we don't listen to our inner child because we were told all of those shaming things to make it seem silly because your inner child is a threat to the power systems around you. And yes, it's, it's not worth it to keep it buried. The safety you get in return for your own self-abandonment is not worth it. Preach. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm tired of it. I'm tired. And I don't really know how to fix any of this, but I feel like acknowledging that like I'm doing all of these things to keep myself safe and it used to work and in some capacity it works, but it's not worth it anymore. <laughs> oh girl, that is exactly what my relationship was like with alcohol. Yeah. yeah. It's the same stuff. You know, I addressed in another podcast, I say, what color is your shirt? Because we all have something. I feel like everyone has something that is constricting them and making them small, you know, and and like my shirt said, alcohol. Someone else's might say love addiction. Someone else's might say food addiction. Someone else might say shame. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. And it's like, I can, what you just said, all you had to do was insert the word alcohol. It's like alcohol worked for a while and then it didn't work so well it would still work to to some degree if i went back to it it would take away those icky feelings for a short period of time but it's just not worth it like it kept me small it kept me trapped and i feel like you know whatever you call the evil in the universe you know i feel like it it finds that little tender spot in each of us and just kind of pokes it, you know, and pours some salt in there and says, you know, you got to stay small. And whatever that thing is that we're wearing on our shirt is what kind of keeps us small. Exactly. Yeah. That's why, you know, I always say we like to label things, but I'm not about labels. You know, I don't say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. I say, you know, I coped with my trauma and stress by using alcohol. And other people use food and other people think small, you know, shame. So what you're saying is, I think, is a universal message and a universal truth. There's something you just said about our inner child. I'm going to play it back, but it sounds like a good article topic. (laughs) I'm going to find it in the replay and be like, here, can you write about this? You're a wonderful writer. You are a wonderful writer. And I would love to write 
inner child stuff. I'm I'm working myself up to it. It is writing about this stuff is very cathartic, but it's also a lot. <laughs> and usually, if I write yes. when I write articles like this, I'm kind of this is my natural shame how it works. I was gonna say like I'm pretty much useless for the rest of the day, but what I'm really saying is I'm emotionally exhausted and don't have the energy for like other major activities for the rest of the day after I yes. read those. So I tend to avoid them until the emotions sort of build up so much that like the article just comes like spilling out. <laughs> spilling out. Yeah. Yeah. But look at how you just reframe that. You know, you went from telling yourself you're useless to just acknowledging that you're emotionally exhausted. The terminology, you know, it's like, oh, I'm useless. No, you're spent. <laughs> I'm getting better at that, especially when I'm talking to other people, because they tend to get uncomfortable with my self-loathing. <laughs> when I talk to mm-hmm. myself, I definitely struggle to reframe like that because it's like, oh, well, no mm. one else is here. I can be honest. I'm garbage. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still working mm. on it. But <laughs> even making those shifts in language when I'm talking to others, I feel like it's still a step. <laughs> yes, there's progress. I've seen you. I mean, you're making progress just in the 28 minutes we've been chatting. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that you are a ray of hope, to be honest with you, because you are you're here being so raw and vulnerable. And yet look at how you're already kind of, I can see you kind of shifting just a little bit of your perception. And the more that you share that and write about it, you're so articulate and talented. I think that you you can help a lot of people and hopefully doing that will help others. Thank you. I mean, help you. That is the idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think serving others, helping others while healing ourselves is just about the sweet spot of life. So yeah, it it feels a lot better to share my feelings and, you know, I get, I get some validation obviously from hearing that other people got something from it. So it's good for me, but It's it's a win-win. If they got something from it too, there's nothing wrong with me taking validation from that. That's fine. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I love when people tell me that that an episode of my podcast helped them. The trouble is when you get the opposite, you get the haters and it's like, you have to try not to take that as invalidation. You just have to ignore them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't gotten any haters. I don't think I'm well known enough yet. That's what my daughter tells me. She goes, mommy, you know, eventually you're going to get so popular that you're going to have haters. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) If they want to hate on me, that's very calm. But because like you said, I don't have a ton of traffic coming through, but um, one of my articles on the mighty got republished on Yahoo. And there were some wildly rude and abusive responses. They were, it was pretty gross. It was, yeah, it was rough. (laughs) Well, there's some really gross people out there. I don't know what they're doing with their time, honestly. Well, <laughs> like, a lot of it so. was the the shame. I feel like they were listening to theirs, and I think I I don't know. To me, my perspective, some people cope with like the shame of their life a little bit better. Like to me, at least from a very I'm very sensitive, so I see yes, these other people me too. who aren't as sensitive, and so they take all this shame and they're like okay, that's fine. Like, I'll just keep living my life, but like, I'll keep all this other stuff buried and it won't bother me somehow. And it turns them into, if I'm being honest, that's how they cope with it. It's just, instead of hating themselves, they spin it outward. But so that was a lot of the responses I got were like, oh, you 
millennial snowflake. You think you're so special. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, special, thank you. And so are you. I'm sorry you don't feel yes. about individual human beings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I've always told my kids whenever they encounter somebody that's just overtly nasty for no good reason, whether it's a teacher or someone on the street, I say, okay, you know, first of all, if you're ever ugly to somebody, what kind of mood are you in? And they're like, oh, I'm in an awful mood. And I'm like, exactly. Do you feel comfortable in your skin? And they're like, no. And my kids are kind, decent people who are not overtly nasty, but you know, we're all nasty sometimes. I mean, we all, you know, lay on the horn or whatever, you know, talk, call someone a jerk or, or worse. Um, and you know, when, when you're behaving that way, you're not comfortable in your skin. You're not feeling good about yourself. So I say, I always say to them, I say, okay, so your in- interaction with that person is finite, whether it's a teacher you have to deal with one hour a day or, you know, for a school year or a person on the street or a coworker you have to encounter in the office or whatever, your interaction is finite with them. So imagine waking up in their skin, mm-hmm. like, ew, they are stuck with their ugly selves 24 <laughs> <24/7. laughs> seven. For me, that, that helps me keep things in perspective. Cause I'm just like, Oh, it must suck to wake up in your skin. Like, ew. So that helps me keep it in perspective. So if I ever do get haters, I'll just be like, as they say in the South, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Which you know is code for, uh, (laughs) yes. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, well, um, this has been a great conversation and I'm going to post this article and anything else that you would love to share? I didn't know that you're a poet as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I would love for you to share some of your other work with me for me to share on the show notes page. Uh, I'm sure people would be interested to read more from you because you are articulate and gifted. Do you have any social platforms, social media platforms where people can follow you? Yeah, I have, you know, a Facebook page and an Instagram. You can find everything pretty much under Megan Writes Everything which is my blog and okay. everything too. I think on Twitter, I'm Megan writes it because everything was too long. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I'm, I'm on various social medias. <laughs> okay. Megan writes everything guys. Well, not guys. Megan writes everything. Pops. <laughs> you can find her there. Um, this has been a great conversation and I'd like to continue conversation with you because I, I'm very intrigued by some of the way, the, the things that you're saying. So um, we'll leave it here for now, but maybe you could join us another time when you uh, write that article about your inner child. I'd love to share that. That sounds really great. Actually, this has been a really like cathartic conversation for me. I hope I'm not just dumping emotions onto you, but no, no, that this is why I'm here. I mean, my podcast, I just kind of ask leading questions and I love when people allow themselves to be vulnerable like you have today and be real. You know, sometimes people come onto podcasts with kind of a script and they say what they say and they're not willing to dive in and, and you were, and that I'm really appreciative of that. Of course. Yeah. I'm really, yeah. happy you had me on here. This has been a really, really, Really nice part of my day. That's great. I'm glad. Well, give your little one a little kiss from me because I love to kiss babies. And thanks for being a part of my podcast and a part of my journey. Yeah, thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast 
and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community after the crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.